It's time for the Retire ASAP podcast. Here's your host, Taylor Fike. Welcome to the Retire ASAP podcast, where our goal is to help you get free from work as soon as possible. My name's Taylor Fike, and this week we are talking again about portfolio engineering. Now, this couldn't come at a better time because I know that as many of you watch the stock market on whatever news channel you watch or maybe you listen to the radio and they talk about the the market and the volatility that's going on right now, there's just so much that's happening. And there's a lot of reasons those things are happening. I know the media would like to boil things down to just one problem, whether it be the trade war with China or whether it be something going on, you know, with a certain specific company that causes the entire market to just go up and down and back and forth. And the reality is there's a lot of variables that play into that, but people are on edge right now, and rightfully so. Uh, A lot of people's retirement depend on how well the markets perform, and hopefully they do perform right around the time you want to retire because you want to have the maximum amount in your 401k or your IRA when you hit retirement, and people are a little anxious about that right now, especially if they want to retire in the next couple years. So with all that being said, again, this is a perfectly timed conversation because I think portfolio engineering is so important when it comes to volatile markets like what we're in right now. And I know that in most cases, people don't love the idea of diversification and long-term investing because it's slow and it's boring. In fact, sometimes it's a little frustrating because you're not seeing the returns that you want to see long-term or in the short term that will eventually, hopefully, be what you're aiming for long-term. And so this is a battle that goes back and forth between us as financial advisors and investors trying to stay disciplined in this. And so before we get started, I always want to give the disclaimer of, you know, I'm a financial advisor. But on this podcast, I'm not your financial advisor. I don't know you. I don't know your situation. I can't give you advice based on your personal portfolio if I'm not actually looking at it and knowing exactly what I'm talking about. So I may be saying some things on here today that sound like recommendations. They aren't. I'm not making any recommendations to you personally. I'm just talking about general education here. So I don't want you to think that you need to take exactly what I'm saying, go straight to your Vanguard account or straight to your current financial advisor and say, I need these changes right now. What you need to do is you need to consider some of the things I'm talking about, bring it up with your financial advisor or your legal advisor or even your tax advisor, whoever it is. You need to talk to them and say, hey, is this something I need to do? Just because generally it might be true doesn't mean personally it might be true. Because that's the thing with investing is there's no obvious right or wrong answer. And the best way to you know decide on whether or not a decision was right or wrong is if we look back in the past when it's already too late to change the decision. So don't take what I'm saying here today as complete and full-on advice. Know that when I'm talking here, and we're going to talk about international stock today, when I'm talking about internationals, it may not be right for you, or maybe you need to consider getting into them. Either way, take my words with a grain of salt and just do your own research. Talk to somebody close to you that you would trust to give you advice and all. So I want to start off with a little bit of the news media and what they're saying about international investing, because I think it's quite interesting. If we look at the last decade or so of international investing, I'm not speaking off specific terms, but it's been rough. I know that some investors have experienced potentially a loss over the last decade, depending on what international they've owned, or if anything, not much of a return. And you comparatively put that up against what the last decade has brought us in domestic U.S. investments, and you can kind of see a very, very glaring difference between the two. U.S. has done nothing but explode since the bottom of the trough in 2008 and the beginning of 2009. They've done nothing but explode. Explode and international has really had a tough time getting 
its feet under them. There's a lot of reasons why in different time periods it had different effects on certain things. But regardless, some of these news medias are really funny. When I read the titles, um, How Most Investors Get Their International Wrong, Emerging Markets Still Alive, Do They Even Make Sense to Be Invested In? And there's about 25 articles. I just Googled international investing. Is it dead? And I mean, there's about 25 articles that have interesting headlines all talking about how get out of international. You shouldn't own it. You don't need it. It's terrible investment. You need to get into different styles of different investing asset classes, all these different things. And while some of the recent statistics may have shown that to be true, I don't personally believe that you can just jump onto the last 10 years and make a decision for your entire investment portfolio. So here's the thing. Today is going to be one of those in the weeds, lots of details, somewhat boring type of podcast. And we'll have those from time to time. We can't always talk about the fun stuff like what your dreams are and what a perfect retirement looks like and how do you maximize your retirement income and get as much as you possibly can or save big dollars in taxes. We'll talk a lot about that stuff in the future and ongoing podcasts, but today it's going to be a little bit boring. We're going to talk a little bit about two different things that I wanted to cover when it comes to international investing. I want to talk about the benefits of having it for diversification and correlation in your portfolio, as well as I want to talk about the added risk to the added return ratio that it may have in your portfolio. So those are the two major things that you want to consider when you are doing any international investing or any investing whatsoever. Does whatever asset category or whatever thing you're thinking about adding to your portfolio, does that add more diversification and give you a better correlation look at your portfolio in comparison? And also, does it add return valuable enough to offset the risk that it might add to your portfolio. So these are the two things that I want to talk about today when it comes to international. First things first, correlation and diversification. So here, maybe many of you don't know, but there are different statistic measurements that come into portfolio design for us. And what we look at a lot is correlation of asset categories. So if you have questions on what asset categories are and things like that, I would encourage you to hit pause and head into Google and kind of do some research on what the difference is between asset categories and individual stocks and all that stuff. I don't really have a whole lot of time to go into that. But what I would say is that if we're looking at asset categories like U.S. large companies, mostly the things that you would know as name brand companies, even a few of them that may be a little bit small to be name brand, but they are large companies based off of their market capitalization and how much they earn and all their different statistics that go into who they are as a company. So U.S. large companies, you can compare their relationship and returns to international large companies. And so when we look at those different things, there is a relationship over time that you can kind of compare and analyze and come up with a number that measures what their relationship has been over that time. If I look at U.S. large companies and I compare them to international large companies, they have a correlation of 0.55. And so many people would be like, okay, what in the world does that mean? I don't know what 0.55 means. In the world of statistics, correlation can go anywhere from negative one to positive one. In any relationship between two things, two variables, we can have that negative one to positive one relationship. If it's a negative one relationship, that means that they do the exact opposite of each other 
all the time, 100% of the time. And that would be really interesting. If we had a portfolio that had a complete opposite correlation with another asset category, honestly, if we had an even investment in each one of them, it would cancel each other out. Let's say, you know, one company versus another company has a negative one correlation. One company has a 10% return. It would mean that the other company has a negative 10% return. It automatically cancels things out. On the opposite end of the side, we could have a positive one correlation. And that would mean that company A would make 10%, company B would also make 10%. And they would have an identical situation going up and going down. They would follow each other to a T. So when we come down to portfolio design, the reason correlation matters is because if we can find different asset categories that move in different directions at different times, we can potentially reduce risk significantly in a portfolio while adding a little bit of return. And there's a lot of factors that go into that and a lot of research that goes into that. But the reality is if we can find some offsetting asset categories, one of the major ones, stocks versus bonds, they have very different correlations as compared to other stock asset categories. And the idea here, our bonds should be offsetting some of the return of our stocks in good markets. And in bad markets, our bonds should be giving us positive returns while our stocks are giving us negative. That doesn't always happen. And there are plenty of time periods like 2008 that show that we can have entire market collapses and certain sectors may perform better than others and all these different correlations. But in the general grand scheme of things, if we look at asset categories and look at those correlations, the idea here is we want different correlations with different asset categories to add to our diversification of a portfolio so that we can reduce our risk and increase our return. All that to say, how does international play into this? Well, the thing that has been researched, and I have a couple documents here in our office that show a correlation matrix of asset categories from 1973 to 2016. So it's a couple years old, but it shows a pretty good broad spectrum of what you can expect. If we compare international large companies who large US companies, we have a 0.55 relationship there. That means that they move similar in similar directions, but not at the exact same time. And so in many cases, this is good for a portfolio because if you think about it logically, it makes a lot of sense. Just because the U.S. has a good year in its economy doesn't mean the rest of the world is having a good year, aka this year, right? In many cases, the U.S. has done wonderful in its recovery since the end of 2018, a little bit of that fluctuation in the market. But now international has been dragging behind pretty badly, and that's for a lot of different reasons. But we can see that correlation playing out now in other times when U.S. may not be doing great, international may be able to pick up some of the slack. And so adding diversification, adding that international asset category into your portfolio does have some benefits according to the statistics because they don't act the exact same. So you may have to take a little bit more risk to be an international. It may cost a little bit more and you need to weigh those. And we're going to talk about that in our next point. But the thing is, is that it can add potential return in years when other parts of your portfolio aren't, are not performing. And statistics show that, which is a good thing for someone to add to their portfolio. Now, the question is, how much do I have a 50-50 mix between U.S. and international? And I don't say that. Uh, Vanguard reported in an article on their website that they said it should be somewhere between 10 and 40% of your portfolio should be allocated to international. Anything above 40%, the cost starts to outweigh the benefits. And so maybe there is some you know sweet number somewhere between 10 and 40. I think it all depends on if you look at your portfolio specifically, how much risk are you willing to take compared to how much reward that you are going to be getting for that. You need to do those calculations 
calculations on the front end. It's something that we look at heavily within our portfolio and our portfolio managers are looking at those types of things. What kind of difference do we need in a portfolio there? Now, again, I'm not recommending that you go out and just get 40% international stock because I don't know if that fits your portfolio. But generally, what Vanguard says in this article is that international is valuable in some way because of the diversification and the correlation difference that it adds to a portfolio and gives you that potential return in years when other parts of your portfolio may not be giving returns. On the downside, though, you have to think about when international isn't performing like this year, your returns are going to lag behind because international may be holding back what your U.S. or whatever investment you may be in. It may be holding those things back just a little bit and causing a little bit of a lag in return. So you do have to consider those things. But over the long-term history, the correlation of having that 0.55 between U.S. large and international large is good. We can even compare U.S. small, international small, U.S. large to international small, all those different ways of looking at it. The correlation gives a benefit to diversification in a portfolio. And that takes me to our second point here. So we talk about correlation and different numbers there, but the real numbers that probably matter most to you as an investor is, what's my return? And how much risk do I have to take to get that extra bit of return if I am getting any extra return? And the question's good, because I think in most cases, if we look at the long-term U.S. markets, they've done fairly well. The S&P is averaged somewhere around 9 to 10%, depending on the time period you look at. In some 10-year periods, it hasn't been quite that good. In other 10-year periods, it blew that out of the water. But when you look at it, it has that average between 9 and 10% in U.S. markets. And you say, okay, if I got that, which in most cases isn't possible, because those are just the indexes. So you still have cost to investor and you know the tracking error of whatever fund you may have. And there's a lot of details as to why maybe 9 to 10% isn't a good expected return on a, on a full US uh, S&P 500 portfolio. But in general, it gives you an idea here. Is there a way to add to that 9 to 10% average without adding too terribly much risk? And so here's the big question for most people is, well, how do I know how much risk I'm taking? Well, I like to think of two things. One, the standard deviation, which standard deviation is another statistical measure. What it does is it tells you how much deviation does your portfolio have from its average number. So you may have an average return of, let's say, 9, but your standard deviation may be 12%. And so if you have a standard deviation at 12%, you can start measuring what's the likelihood of my portfolio to have this range of returns between one standard deviation from your average, it's about a 66% amount between those two, a 66% likelihood that you're going to have a return between one standard deviation of your average on the low side and the high side. It's about a 95% chance that it's two standard deviations away. If you want a 99% chance of certainty that your return is going to fall in a range, it's three standard deviations from your average. So the higher the standard deviation, the bigger the range of your returns can be in your portfolio, which that means that you are going to have more volatility, bigger ups and bigger downs all the time, and the more risk that you take or the higher the standard deviation of your portfolio is. So for a lot of our clients, if they don't like to have big down years, Everyone likes to have big up years, but if you don't like to have big down years, we want to lower your standard deviation. And maybe the best way to do that is to get into asset categories that have a little bit lower average returns, but also a little bit more consistency to their returns that allows that standard deviation to shrink. So that's one measure. 
can I get more return without increasing too terribly much my standard deviation, the ups and the downs in my portfolio? Can I do that? And on the second side of things, the thing that I like to look at is what's the worst case scenario? Just about now in history, the worst case scenario for just about every asset class is that 2008 crash. So if we look back there to 2008, if we add an international to a portfolio, what did that do? Did that cause more damage or less damage comparatively? And so those types of things are the things you got to look at. Now, what I did is I looked up an article here, and I can link this here in the show notes as to what the uh, link to this article is. It's a guy who uh, you know wrote a blog here, and he found a different thing, a couple of different charts here. And one of them he found it's a uh, chart that talks about the U.S. versus international allocations. It shows the difference in return, and this return is actually really interesting because they use the uh, CAGR returns, so not just your average annual return. They're they're looking at real numbers here. They're looking at your potential return compared to the different allocations of international and what that's done. And it's really interesting. If we look from 1970 to 2007, right before the crash, if you had a 70-30 mix of U.S. stocks to international stocks, you had a higher potential return with the same standard deviation as a 100% U.S. portfolio. And so some people are going, wow, okay, so if I have 30% international, that gives me a higher percent return over time with the same amount of risk. And essentially that would be true, but that would be if you invested between 1970 and 2007. It's interesting when he remade this chart, the whoever the blogger is, the writer of this article, he remade it just to measure out the difference of if we go 1970 to 2018. And the reality is adding international in for that time period, if we had a 100% U.S. portfolio, over that time period, 1970-2018, with this last decade in there, the U.S. actually outperforms, the 100% U.S. outperforms the uh, international portfolio, having a mix of international. The more international, the worse the performance in this time period. And so that just all comes down to what kind of time period are we in? And this last decade has really been painful to watch for international, and you can see in the chart that it actually drags down the long-term average of those situations too. But what we really need to think about is, what's going to be the benefit over the long-term? What if we hit another time period like 1970-2007, where international has great performance? And who knows? I think I'm a positive outlook and optimist on the world, and I think that the world economy has been growing like crazy for the last few, you know, few decades. I can see that happening over the next few decades. I don't think the U.S. will always be the massive large economy it is. I think eventually the rest of the world is going to catch up. We're going to see things get a little bit more even across the plane. Now, with that in mind, I go, I don't mind being invested in international personally because I'm seeing potential in the future of great growth. Yeah, we had a rough decade here, but that doesn't mean we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because we have a small time frame that we look at and say, oh, things are dead. Things aren't working. We need to get out. So in the end of all this, I think that some of the statistics show that international adds great you know diversification to a portfolio it can potentially lower risk and increase return at the same time it all just depends on the time period you're invested and what the performance is and since markets are random and unpredictable we don't know what the future brings and so if I'm a betting person if I'm the person that's going to the casino I'm the person who's gonna say which one has the most potential to give me a solid return when I walk out the door is it one game that's gonna give me a 60% chance of winning is it another game that's gonna give me a 40% chance of winning but I win more which one do I want and me personally 
I'm going the diversification route. I'm going the route that says, hey, I want to own as much as I possibly can across all the asset categories, and I want to see what that return does for me over a long period of time. I think in the long run, I will win if I own everything and collect return from each different sector whenever it happens, instead of trying to bet on one thing, going all on black or all on red, trying to bet on one asset category or one group of stocks or one mutual fund. Instead of guessing on those types of things, I would rather take a broader approach to it. It's a slower, more boring approach, but man, I think honestly international is not dead. I think the future has positive sides to it. But again, that's just my personal opinion, and I wouldn't recommend you take my advice on that. But something to consider there is I need to look at the statistics, something for you personally, you need to look at the statistics of your portfolio. Does it potentially benefit you in the long run to own international? If you stuck here till the end of the podcast, you listened to all the boring stuff, I have a little bit of a reward for you. We talked a little bit about this in our last podcast, but coming up here on September 5th, we are doing a free workshop. It's called the Retire ASAP Workshop. It's a one-hour commitment. It's not much. We're doing it at the Worcester Chamber of Commerce, and it's a Thursday night. So I would invite you guys to sign up for that. The best way to do that is my email. Uh, it's taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at fikeadvisors.com, or you can always go to our website the contact us page. There's a box where you can send us a little message. If you want to sign up for the workshop, you can do that there. What we're going to be talking about is the biggest question in retirement that everyone seems to always ask me is, do I have enough? Do I have enough? And while that's a simple question in retirement, we look at it and go, okay, yeah, obviously if I have enough money to do the things that I want, then I should be able to retire. Well, the question is, do you know what income you need to be able to take out of your portfolio to make it last for your entire lifetime without running out? Do you know what kind of investments you should hold in retirement, how much risk you should be taking, what the benefits and the pros and the cons of having certain portfolios are when you are retired? Because when you start drawing income out of a portfolio, it drastically changes the strategy of the investment. Do you know what tax implications you got to be playing around with? Do you know some tax strategies to lower your potential taxes in retirement, make your money last longer? And then have you thought about what the whole implication of legacy is going to be for you and your family? What do you want to leave to your kids and your grandkids? What kind of stuff do you want to be able to gift them at the end of your life? Have you thought about all those factors? Because yes, the question, do I have enough, is probably a pretty simple question if you had just a specific number to aim for. The problem is there's so many variables that go into that. And we're going to talk about that through our entire workshop. So come be a part of that. It's free. We're only allowing 10 people in though, because we want to keep the class small so we can keep it interactive. So there's only 10 seats. We already have a few of them filled up. So if you want to be a part of it, definitely email me today. Don't wait, get on there, send me an email, let me know so I can save your spot. And that way you have your spot saved for Thursday, the 5th, that's September 5th, Thursday at the Worcester Chamber of Commerce. It's going to be from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Join us, be a part of that. It's going to be a wonderful experience. So hope to see you there for that. In the meantime, if you do want to sign up for our free Retire ASAP Toolkit, that's on our website. The link will be below in the show notes and we'll talk to you guys. Investment advisory services provided by Fike Advisors, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult a professional before taking any action. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.